So, uh, as it was said last week, uh, Pastor Matt, uh, he said we're going to take this break from Hebrews because this is a really interesting time, and we are going to spend some time speaking into it uh, these weeks um, instead of just continuing with that Hebrews. Again, uh, we're going to finish Hebrews. Hopefully you guys saw that uh, we're going to put some videos on with the podcast and we're still going to talk about the rest of Hebrews and we're still going to process through that book. I want to encourage you, uh, find those videos, still keep going with Hebrews, keep going with the reading plan and and investing and and going digging into that book. But we want to speak into what's happening right now. And last week, Pastor Matt did a great job of challenging us and encouraging us that during this time, right, during the middle of this, uh, as believers and followers of Christ, we are called to live by faith and not by fear. Uh, He encouraged us and challenged us that we are called to be sacrificial and not selfish. And, And finally, we are challenged to share the light of Christ and bring the light of Christ into dark situations, and we're not called to hide it. And so that was a great word, and we're going to continue with that uh, and speak into what we're going through right now today. Um, Life, it's just turned upside down. Um, Some of us are feeling that a little bit more than others. Uh, But the reality is, life is completely different. Uh, I've been made fun of a few times now because I'm saddened that I can't go have Pizza Hut buffet. Um, It's it's just not, it's not right. It's not normal. Um... That's a extremely small example of struggle. So I just want to express that. I don't want to make light of some of the hardships that are, uh, some of us are going through. But the reality is there are some of us that are listening right now uh, that you've been out of work. And you're looking at your finances. And you don't know what you're, you're looking at. Like, how am I going to pay my bills? Um, every day you're watching the news and you're hearing the different news that's going around. And it's not really great news very much of the time. Life has turned upside down, and we are in a situation, a difficult situation, that brings with it a great deal of uncertainty. Uh, That's where I find myself many times, you know, because we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't know what next week's going to bring. We don't know what next month is going to bring. It just seems like there's more and more questions, and we're living in this time of uncertainty. And I want to say it, So we all can agree upon this, and we know that we're not alone in this. Today, we're facing a hardship that many of us have never experienced in life. We continue to hear people say that. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. And I want us all to embrace that together, that this is a hardship that we have never faced before uh, in our lifetime. But even in the midst of a hardship, I want us to know including myself, I have to speak this to myself, we are blessed beyond measure, right? Even in the middle of difficulty and hardship, we are blessed beyond measure. And right now, some of us are hearing that, and you're questioning that. You're sitting there going, wait a minute, how can you look at anything that I'm going through and see it as a blessing? Well, here's the thing I want to encourage us with. Sometimes our blessings actually come through the difficult situations. Sometimes our blessings actually hurt. And that's a hard thing for us to understand and realize that sometimes the blessings are actually painful. To help us understand that, I want to share a story that I heard years ago. 
And it stuck with me ever since I heard it for the first time. And as I was processing this week, this story kept coming back to mind. And here's the story that I heard, again, years ago. But it was about a young boy named David. And he was two years old. And David had leukemia. And his mother, whose name was Deborah, brought him to uh, one of the hospitals in Boston to see a doctor named Dr. John Thurman. And, and this doctor specialized in treating children with cancer and various blood diseases. And when he met David, the, the prognosis was not good. When he met David and he looked at him, he came to his mother and he said, listen, this is, this is the prognosis. He has a 50-50 chance. And Days went by and weeks went by and months went by as they treated David with countless clinic visits and they drew blood and they did blood tests and they were giving him intravenous drugs and can you imagine the fear and the pain that this young two-year-old was going through with these countless visits and, and all the stuff that was happening and the story says that David through all of this every day when the mother would take him to the waiting room or take him to the doctor he was sitting there in the waiting room and he never cried. He, he never said, no, I don't want to do this. In fact, when his name was called in the waiting room, he would always run back to where the doctor and the nurses were because he knew the welcome that he was going to receive. He knew the excitement they were going to have when they saw him. But see, here's the thing. About when David was three, there was a moment when the doctor came and he said, we got to do a procedure and we got to do a spinal tap and it's going to be painful and it's going to be horrible. And, and I don't want to do it, but we have to. So Deborah sat down with her son, and she looked at him, and she explained this. She said, listen, because you're sick, I want you to understand something. Because you're sick, Dr. Thurman has to do something to make you feel better. And she said to him, if it hurts, remember, it's because he loves you. So they enter in to do this procedure, and and and. It was horrendous. I mean, the story goes, it was horrible. It took three nurses to hold David down. And the entire time they were doing it, he was yelling and he was sobbing and he was struggling. And when it was over, and here's this tiny boy and he soaked in sweat and tears. He looked up at the doctor. And the story says he gasped these words because of all the energy and pain that he just went through. He gasped these words and he said, thank you, Dr. Tuman, for my hurting. I remember the first time I heard that story, it just kind of challenged me with this idea of sometimes the pain we have to go through is the most beautiful blessing that God can give to us because he loves us. Scripture actually says in Hebrews, we haven't got to this point yet, but in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this in verses 5 and 6. It says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child... Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. In fact, the next thing that the author says of Hebrews in, in verse 11, as he's talking about this discipline and this love of God, he actually says this, which I think we all can agree with. He says, No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I don't want to stand up here and make it sound like, hey, what's happening is like God's anger and discipline, but see, because we think of discipline that way, but discipline of God, when God disciplines, he's not doing it always out of anger, he's doing it because he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to wake us up. 
He's trying to make us look at things differently. He's trying to make us change the direction that we're going. And I just want to say this morning that I truly believe that what we're going through as a church and as a nation and as families and even as individuals, God is using it to get our attention. You can see this all the time. People are talking about this on Facebook. Um, I'll hear people talk about it. Um, Even Pastor Matt said it last week. God won't... uh, miss an opportunity. He will use things for the way he wants to and for his glory and for the purposes that he has. And I just want to encourage us as we talk this morning that God is using this to get our attention and he's disciplining us because he loves us. And even though it hurts, it's still a blessing because it comes from a God that loves us and desperately is reaching out to as many of us as he can to get our attention. And that's what we're going to process through this morning for a little while. This week, I've been kind of thinking about this, you know, ever since Pastor Matt and I sat down and we talked about changing direction with the sermons, the first story that came to mind instantaneously with this, uh, even a week ago, was I've been spending a lot of time thinking about the story in Numbers chapter 21. And I want to encourage you now, uh, grab your Bibles. You're all at home, so you should have a Bible. Um, I want you to grab your Bibles because we're going to be processing through uh, Numbers chapter 21 together. And, and the story I've been thinking about is the Israelites and the bronze serpent. And it, it's, some of you hear that, and if you know the story, you might be thinking, why, why would that be something that would be processing in your mind? But I cannot get it out of my mind as I think about what we're going through right now and how God is using it. So what I want to do is I want to take a moment, and if you have your Bibles, let's uh, Numbers chapter 21 And I want to read a couple of verses, starting at verse 4, and then we'll process a little bit, and then we'll look at a little bit more of it. But uh, it it says in uh, verse 4, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and spoke against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Let's pause right there for a moment. Let's process a little bit of what's going on here and how it relates to us. See, um, when you look at the nation of Israel and they're following God and they're going in the direction God's calling them to go as far as physically and they're doing these things, but you can see that there was a heart problem. There was an attitude problem. There was a way they were viewing things. There was an issue and God was like, we got to change this because your attitude is taking you in the wrong direction. You're perspective is taking you in the wrong direction. So God is sitting here saying, no, I got to get your attention and we got to change this. And I just want us to process through this just for a moment. Think about just three things here that we're getting. And, and maybe if this relates to us and, or, or relates to our community or relates to the, the nation, whatever, I think we can see these things. The first thing that we're told is that the people were impatient on the way and they were speaking against God. God and Moses. But I want us to focus on they were speaking against God. What I want you to see here is the nation of Israel, the people were actually being frustrated with God. I mean, can you see this? Can you kind of picture this? They were getting frustrated with the way. They were beginning impatient with the way that God was leading them and the way that God was taking them. And their frustration was getting to the point that they were actually speaking against God. And I just want to challenge us for a moment that I can find myself falling into this temptation too, where, God, this isn't the way that I would do this. This isn't the way that I think my life should go. This isn't the way that I think things should work out. 
So what I start doing is I get impatient with God. I get impatient with the things God is doing. And I can actually find myself speaking against God. And the way that I can speak against God is I can actually sit there and in my mind and in my heart, and I can even speak the words, I can speak out against, like, God, I would do this differently if it was me. And that's what we see here first off is the people are getting frustrated with God. But it goes even farther than that. The next thing they do is they start questioning and they say, why did you bring us here? Why did you bring us in the desert? They're actually complaining about their freedom. You've brought us here into the desert. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? So, so they're legitimately questioning the very goodness of God. They're basically telling God, if you really cared about us, if you really loved us, you wouldn't have brought us here. You wouldn't make us have to deal with what we're dealing with. And in fact, they go on even further and they say, there's no bread, there's no water. And what's interesting here is they're making these, these demands that they're actually doubting, not just, not just that they're, they're um, doubting God's goodness, they're doubting the very power of God, right? Like God... You can't do anything about the circumstance that we're in. And, and this is intriguing because this is after they've seen God do the miracles that he did to get them out of Egypt. This is after God parts the Red Sea. This is after God sends manna to them. This is after God sends quail, because at one point in time they're complaining, we ain't got no meat, I want meat. And God sends them so much quail that it just becomes sickening to them. This is after that they complained and, and God brings forth water for them. He's, he's caring for them along the way. But here they are not just getting frustrated with God. They're actually doubting God's goodness. And they're actually forgetting God's goodness along the way. And sometimes when hardship comes, right? Sometimes when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we can actually forget the goodness that God has shown us at other times in our lives. And we, we begin to doubt his goodness now. But the last thing they do is they actually start saying this. We detest this miserable food. Not only are they frustrated with God, not only are they doubting God, but now they're actually rejecting God. Because they're speaking about the manna that God was daily providing to them. And they were looking at this beautiful blessing that God was giving them. And they're legitimately saying... We are tired of this miserable food. They're rejecting the very provision of God. And this was where their hearts were, and this is where their attitudes were. So here's the thing. I want us to stop for a moment and think about this. Are there ever times in our lives, maybe even now, but are there times that we fall into the temptation to get frustrated with God? Are there times we fall into the temptation to start doubting God's goodness? And is it possible that some of us, even watching this now, you've fallen into the temptation of actually rejecting God? See, here's the thing. God looked upon his nation, and he realized he had to do something to get their attention. They were going in the wrong direction. And because he cared for them and loved them, he needed to get their attention. So let's continue reading. Let's look at verse um, 6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. 
Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. All right, so here's the thing. Here's this moment where the people were going in the wrong direction, and God is getting their attention, and he sends a difficult situation. He sends hardship. Snakes come in and start biting the people. And what I want us to realize for a moment is I don't want us to fall in the trap of, again, Pastor Matt alluded to this last week, we don't need to fall in the trap that God sent this virus because he, he's judging us, right? Here's the thing. I don't believe God sent the virus. But see, God, in his sovereignty, and this is what I think happened with the Israelites, I picture the Israelites in the wilderness, and they're surrounded by dangers all the time because this is a fallen, evil, broken world. And here they are in the wilderness, surrounded by dangers. But God in his mercy and grace protected the people. But I think at this moment when God says, okay, i got to get their attention, what God did was God in his sovereignty and God in his goodness and God in his love, he removed his protection. And so the snakes that surrounded them, these, these venomous snakes that were, were around them, now there was a position where they were coming in, right? There was a position here where God was bringing the, the dangers that surrounded them. He was letting them in, right, into the camp. And, and that's what I would say even now of what we're going through. Here's this moment where God is, I don't want to say removing his protection, but in his sovereignty, he's doing things to get our attention. And here's, coronavirus is getting our attention, so what I want to do is I want to challenge us to not fall into this temptation. Sometimes when hardship comes and difficulties come, I'm like this. I, I fall into the trap sometimes of looking at God in situations that are difficult, and I say, God, what are you doing to me? Like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you, why are you allowing this to happen? But can I encourage us with this? A little bit different. Instead of asking God, what are you doing to us? What if we started asking God more often? God, what are you doing for us? In the middle of this, what are you doing for us? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take a few moments and I want to look at some different things that God is doing for us through this situation and encourage us but also challenge us to think about this a little bit different. First off, let's ask this question. What is God doing for the church. When I think about this, and, and there's other people that have said this and spoke into this um, as, as this time has gone on, but I really feel, and I agree with many people that say this, God is giving the church a chance to get back to the basics of what the church is actually about. Right? And I want to explain that just for a moment. As I was thinking about this and I was praying through this and, and, and just kind of processing this and asking, okay, God, what could you be doing through this to, to challenge your church? And when I say the church, I want us to understand, I'm not just speaking of our church. I just think the church overall, the experiences that I've had in different churches, um, and this isn't true of every church, but just his church in America. Uh, I, I, I kind of focused on three different areas 
where this situation is, God is encouraging us to think about it and change course with some things. The first one is this. I think God's challenging us um, as a church to say, um, don't get too comfortable. Right? It's very easy to fall into comfortability um, when it comes to the church, where I want to be relaxed, and I want to take it easy, and I want things to be safe, and, and I want things to be about me. I, I want to be comfortable in everything that we do. I don't want to be stretched. I don't want to be taken out of my comfort zone. I, I want it to be comfortable. The problem is, when the church starts getting comfortable, the church becomes vulnerable. Because as soon as we start getting comfortable, what happens is we're no longer living on the offense. We end up all of a sudden playing defense. Because Scripture, and Jesus tells us in Scripture, he says, listen, my church, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Because the church is never supposed to get comfortable. The church is always supposed to be active and advancing and moving forward. But we fall into that temptation of making church all about my comfort and what I want. And when that happens, we become vulnerable because we're not standing guard anymore. We're not watching out for what's happening. That's where Satan likes to get in there and he starts stirring things up. That's where he has room then to bring division and bring disunity in the church because now I'm going to fight for what makes me comfortable. I'm not going to fight for the mission that God has us on. And I think this is God challenging us, saying, hey, don't get comfortable. You're not meant to be comfortable. You have an eternity to be comfortable. Not now. That'll come later. The other thing I was thinking about with this is, is God's challenging us as his church in America. Let's not get complacent. And I thought this was interesting because um, sometimes, I, you know, I have an idea what I, you know, like, okay, I understand that word, I know that word, but I just kind of like to look upward sometimes to see what definitions are out there with it or, you know, what all is there with it. But I thought it was really interesting that when I looked up the word complacent, the first definition that I found actually said this, to be complacent is to be someone that is smug, arrogant, and prideful. See, I think the church can also fall into, and not on purpose, but it's very easy to fall into being smug and prideful, and arrogant. See, Paul tells us very clearly, the only thing I will boast about is I will boast about Jesus. But it's very easy to start boasting about our church. It's about boasting on what we're able to do and how we're able to do it. We're, we, we can look at other churches and say, well, we're better than that, or we have better abilities than they do, or whatever it is. Listen, it's not a competition. And, and churches need to realize that in America. Sometimes we compete more with the church down the street than fighting against the very enemy that's dragging people to hell. Because it's very easy to fall into an attitude of being smug and arrogant and prideful. And losing the purpose that God has for us. The, the last one that was going through my mind this week is this. I think during this time, God is challenging us as a church in America, to also not be so complicated. And what I mean by complicated is it's very easy for the church to just be busy. Obviously, every church in America 
still is trying to minister and reach people. But all of the things that we give the majority of our time to as churches has been stripped away from us. Every program is gone. Every ministry is gone. Even Sunday morning worship is gone. We're doing it like this. Every church in America is dealing with this. God has stripped away the busyness. And, and what I think is important for us in this opportunity, this is hard because those of us that are used to being busy, you kind of can sit there and say, well, what are we supposed to do? And it's difficult and it's hard. But here's a thought that went through my mind. God is showing us, he's saying, listen, take this chance, this opportunity that I'm giving you to get your attention, that church work, being busy with church work, can sometimes mean that we miss kingdom work. See, it's really to fall into that, it's easy to fall into that trap, that, that just because we're busy with church work, it doesn't automatically mean that we are doing kingdom work. God has given the church the necessary jolt at this time to get our attention, attention and gives us the opportunity to get back to the core of what he calls the church to be. Now, here's the thing. We could do a series of sermons on what the church is called to be. But this is just the one thing that kept going through my mind. When I asked myself, what is the church? This is what was going through my head this week. If someone to ask me, what is the church? The church is not the building, the church is not the programs, the church is not the ministries. The church is not the website, the church is not Facebook, the church is none of those things. What the church is, the church is the born-again children of God who are filled, empowered, and equipped by the Holy Spirit to be unleashed into the world in order to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting people all for the glory of God. I mean, this is what the church is. We are the children of God that are empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit to go into the world all for the glory of God. E.M. Bounds was a pastor in the 1900s, and this is a quote that has always really struck me that he said. He said this, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better not new organizations or more and novel methods, but the church needs people whom the Holy Ghost can use. People of prayer, people mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not follow through, or does not flow through methods, but through people. He does not come on machinery, but on people. He does not anoint plans. But people, here's the thing, church, when the Holy Spirit is flowing through the church, it's impossible for us to be comfortable, complacent, and complicated. Because God is falling and flowing through people. And that doesn't change. Even now, our ministries are done right now. We are not having programs. But God is still flowing through people. People that are willing to be used by the Holy Spirit. Church, this is our opportunity to strip away everything right now and get back to the core of who we are. And we are called to be people empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit that God works through. This is an amazing opportunity for the church. But not only that, we can ask the question, what is God doing for the family? 
It's interesting to me. I love watching on Facebook because you will see some people that are all excited about being home with family, and then you'll see other people that are like, like day two, I can't make it. You know, they're, they're overwhelmed. You know, they're scratching their heads on how they can do this. But here's the deal. Um, I think we need to start changing our attitude with this. I'm excited about this one, especially. I'm excited about the church, but this is awesome with the family, and I'll explain why. God, in this time, is bringing the family back together again. And we can't miss this opportunity, right? This is our opportunity. I, I love when I hear this. People say the new normal, right? The problem with that is when all of this passes us, we're going to go back to the old normal if you're not ready to keep the new normal, right? This is important. Hear me on this because we're going to fall back into the old ways if we don't take advantage of the opportunity in front of us in this hard time to be blessed by what God is doing, right? Let, let me give you a thought that I, I've been encouraged with this week. Do you realize that the family is actually God's first creation for relationship, right? The fact is, before the church, God created the family, right? And think about this. This is the other one that I was encouraged with for a moment. Before God created the position of priest or elder or pastor, God appointed the position of mother and father. Like these are, like right now people are saying, like, what do I do? My kids, I don't have the school system to educate my children. Hear me on this. The school is great, and this is nothing against those that tirelessly serve in the school. You are awesome, you are wonderful, and you are a huge blessing. But hear me on this. As a mother and a father, it is our responsibility to educate our children. Right? The school helps us in that. But it's our responsibility because God created us first. Hear me, the church is great, and it's wonderful to have children's programming, and it's wonderful to have youth programming, and they come alongside of us as mothers and fathers, and they help us with educating and guiding our children. But hear me, it is not the church's responsibility to lead your children to Jesus. It's ours as mothers and fathers. But we've fallen into this trap of shoveling our kids to other people and saying, you teach them, you guide them, you direct them because we're too busy. Guess what? You're not busy anymore, right? God has done a reset, and he's saying it is time for the family to do that which the family was created to do. See, the world has done a wonderful job, wonderful job of dividing the family, right? Because we're all running in different directions. My, my kids can't even drive yet. And they have things that they are running to, right? The world has done a wonderful job of running the family to the point of absolute exhaustion. Every day before this all happened, I would come home, and the last thing I wanted to do, for months I've been convicted about this, because we used to do it uh, probably about six months, a year ago, we did this a lot more. My family would sit down every night, and we would read in Scripture together, and we'd spend time in prayer together. For about a year, probably, we have not done that, because every night I would come home after working my full-time job and then having church stuff I needed to get done, and I'd be like, I don't feel like it. I want to just watch TV, I want to veg out, let my kids do whatever they want to do. The reality that really hit me is I am letting uh, YouTube speak more into my children than me. Because my kids will sit there and watch hours upon hours of YouTube videos. And this is the problem. God is saying, no, we got to get back to what the family is about. we got to do a reset, right? 
We, we, and I also want to challenge this for a moment. I have my daughters in other things, bowling and gymnastics and soccer. Those are all good things. I'm not opposed to them. So when I say this, please don't say that I'm, I'm saying these things are bad for our kids. But I'm going to say this. Many families have fallen into the trap of chasing after good things while neglecting the great things. Right? We, we, these are good for my kids. I'm going to run them everywhere, and they're going to be in all these activities. Again, they are good. I'm not opposed to them. But we are chasing after good things while neglecting the great things. And the great things is Jesus. This is why the hardship came upon Israel. Israel had this moment where these snakes were biting them because they then had to look upon the bronze serpent. And that bronze serpent is a representation of Jesus. The one that would be lifted up on the cross. And that when we look upon him and we allow him to be our vision and we allow him to be our focus, he brings the healing that we desperately need. See, again, we're chasing after things that are good while neglecting the things that are great. But God has allowed us the opportunity for the family to slow down in order to come back together. Back into the original design that he has for us. Right? God has given us the chance right now. This is the blessing. God has given us the chance as a family to heal the foundation of our homes. And that foundation has to be Jesus. Again, the Israelites looked upon the snake. That is where they looked, was upon the bronze snake. But we are called to look to Jesus. Actually, Jesus said this himself. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses that all of us have probably heard and know. But Jesus said this in verse 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life. Jesus is making this example to us. He's he's giving us this this truth that he's saying, listen, don't chase after the things of the world. You need to chase after me. As a family, don't chase after the world, but as a family, chase after me. Make me the priority. Make me the focus. Spend time in the word together. Spend time in prayer together. Don't allow your involvement in the church. And again, not just the ministries of the church, but the mission of the church, the people of the church. That needs to be your priority. Right now, as families, we have an opportunity to come together and actually do amazing ministry. Right now, as a family, you could adopt your neighbors and show love and care for them. As a family, you can minister and you can have a mission to reach people. Right now, you have the ability to spend time in the Word of God with your children and as couples and and, and invest in that teaching and understanding who Jesus is through His Word. You have time to invest in so many different things as a family and stop chasing the world but chase after Jesus. But I want to say this real quick. The temptation when all this is passed is we can invest in chasing after Jesus now. But the temptation is going to be to fall back into the way it was. We have to create a new normal. Jesus is giving us the opportunity to create a new normal. This is the blessing in the middle of the hardship. Here's the last one. Ask the question... What is God doing for you? Right? I process this and say, God, what are you doing for me? Not just the church, not just my family, but what about me? Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 32. 
Jesus said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Right? Again, referencing the cross and referencing again this connection with the bronze snake that was lifted up. And Jesus said that snake was lifted up because God was drawing people to their healing. He was drawing people to himself. This is what Jesus is telling us. He's saying, listen, just like the snake was lifted up to draw people to it, I will be lifted up from the earth and I will draw everyone to myself. So what is Jesus doing for us through this? It's real simple. He's drawing you to himself. Right? We can get so caught up in the situation. We can get so caught up in the questions. We can get so caught up in the difficulties and the hardships. We can get so caught up in the world that we miss the most important thing through this entire situation. And that is the fact that Jesus is calling out and drawing us to himself. He's calling us to go deeper. Right? Just like the Israelites had to. And I want you to picture this because sometimes when we think about scripture, we don't see it this way. The, the, the camp, the Israelite camp was huge. Millions of people. One snake was put on one pole in the middle of it. That means if I was bit and I was on the outskirts, the very edge of the camp, I had to journey to the center in order to see the snake. I had to make an effort to get to where I needed to be for my healing, right? I had to trust that every step in that agony and in that pain, I had to trust that every step that took me closer to the center of the camp was I had to trust that I was going to have a healing there. I had to trust that what God said was true. Every step that took me closer was getting me deeper. Here's the thing. Through hardship, through difficulties, Jesus is telling us, Trust me. Follow me. Know me. Let's go deeper. Come deeper into me. Here's the thing that's interesting about this is we are seeing right now how fragile everything in this world is. The world is shut down. Everything that we put our faith in has, is starting to get stripped away from us. Some of us aren't receiving paychecks. The economy is where every day we're told is going to fall apart. The nation doesn't know what it's going to do with itself. And some of us are sitting at home and we're looking to the government to save us. But I believe God is doing this because he's showing us how fragile everything of this world is because everything in this world is broken and temporary. But what he's saying to us as individuals is he says, while everything else in the world is falling apart, Jesus is the rock that can't be shaken. Jesus is the one we are called to build our lives upon. So I want to encourage us this morning to think about this. Is your life built upon that rock of Jesus? Is your life built upon his kingdom that is eternal and can never falter and can never fail? See, this is our opportunity in this hardship to be consumed even more by Jesus. This is our opportunity to yield even more to the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is our opportunity to stand firm with our entire lives built upon the cornerstone who is Jesus. I hope you understand, even in the midst of hardships, today we are blessed beyond measure. 
Because God is giving us amazing and wonderful opportunities to create new normals. He's literally giving us the opportunity to transform life as a church and as a family and as individuals. And he's doing all of this, and go back to the original story, he's doing all of this because he loves us. Discipline isn't always enjoyed because it is painful, but God does it because he loves us, and he's given us an opportunity. I want to end with this last scripture. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, and Paul says this, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Is that not the best message we can have right now? God has given us an opportunity. Let us not waste the opportunity, but to make the most of it. And to seek God, not thoughtlessly, but to understand what he wants us to do. So as we close... I'm going to ask us as families, and even if you're on your own, we can do this. But I want you, after this this message is done, this video is over, I I want you to take some moments. Don't rush through this. Take some moments just right there in your house, right in your living room, wherever you're at. And spend some time in prayer. And just simply ask God, God, what is it you want me to do? This is an opportunity, and I don't want to miss it. What do we need to do as individuals? And what do we need to do as families? And what do we need to do as part of the church? Let's not miss the opportunity that God has given to us because we are extremely blessed to have it. Spend some time seeking after him and listen. This is the best thing we can do right now. Would you join me as we pray? Father God, I I have to admit, there are many times I, I can focus on everything else that's going on right now. And I lose sight of you. And those are those moments when you lovingly and gently whisper. And you tell me to get refocused again. You tell me to stop listening to what's on the TV. You tell me to stop listening to the things that are around me. And you tell me to be quiet and not even listen to my own thoughts. And you say, just listen to me. Seek me. I love you. I'm giving you this chance. Lord, I know that you tell me all the time that there's, there's these moments when I complain about life. And, and you're saying, I've given you the opportunity. I've slowed it down. Take advantage of it. Change it. Create a new normal. Lead your family. Find the ways that You can be the church in the community and the people that you interact with on a daily basis. I have sent you to the world. And I hear you challenging me every day. David, it's time to go deeper. There's always so much more of me that I want to show you and I want to give you. It's time to go deeper. I've given you the opportunity. Don't waste it. Lord, I pray for us that everyone that's watching this and is praying now, Lord, let us hear how blessed we are with the situation that we find ourselves in. Let us see it for what it is. And that is a wonderful blessing from you to discover what you're doing for us. Lord, what are you doing for us? Let that be our desire and our prayer that we seek after you for. We give you praise for your mercy and your grace. We give you praise that you love us.
You're faithful to us. You're drawing us to yourself. You're wonderful and awesome. And let our eyes be focused on you. In your name we pray. Amen.